This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. We're delving into whatever interests us. News, not news, it's what affects our lives because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. We'd like to welcome our guest, Anna Patratz Acosta. She's a professor at Mitchell Hamlin Law School and an expert on immigration law. Full disclosure, she is a dear childhood friend. We go way back to our hometown of Melrose, Minnesota. Go Dutchman. Go Dutchman. <laughs> Anna, welcome to Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. Thank you for having me. It's okay we're doing beer now though, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I thought wine was part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get Next you a bottle time. after. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so... To d- dive right in, um, the debate over immigration has reached a fever pitch in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, you were down at the border in Tijuana last winter um, when things were coming to a head. So can you just talk about how we have arrived at this particular moment in history and maybe if you want to talk to about what you saw down at the border? Sure. So um, I think just generally as far as what's going on with immigration law, I think in many ways we're kind of seeing a repeat of history in many ways because um, at various points in our history we've had times when there's been significant fear of the other and um, kind of fear of newcomers. Um, The people who had come in the past generation had assimilated and now we were afraid of the newcomers. Um, So in many ways it's kind of history repeating itself. and. I think to um, the last time that we had this level of xenophobia nationally, um, there was also significant income inequality. So the, la- the last time we really saw this was the 1920s. So I think a lot of this might have to do with um, economic anxiety, and it's much easier to point the finger and scapegoat the other than to kind of look at larger issues that may be causing some of, some of the problems in your life. So I think just kind of... Um, overall, that might be kind of what's driving a lot of the negative rhetoric around immigration right now. Um, And then I think with respect to what I saw in Tijuana, um, I think it's really important for the public to know exactly what's going on there. Um, So what we're seeing is a flood of a lot of people who are fleeing persecution and coming to seek asylum. And we have a humanitarian crisis at the border right now, but it's really one of our own government's making in many respects. So what I saw in Tijuana, and this reflects a lot of reporting that's being done at other ports of entry around the border, is that our government is limiting the number of people who are able to request asylum per day. So for example, when I was in Tijuana, only 40 people per day were allowed to be processed and apply for asylum. And uh, the San Ysidro port of entry where this was happening is, I think, the largest land port of entry in the country. So 100,000 people are processed per day. So to say that they only have resources to process 40 people just doesn't match reality. And you know, I think a lot of people are probably saying, why should we care? Why should they care that this is happening? Well, I mean, I think you really just need to look at the humanity and the human impact of what's going on. I mean, these are people, mostly families with young kids, that are fleeing pretty horrific conditions in their home country. Um, Most of the people who we met were either from Mexico or from Central America, and they were fleeing pretty 
violent, horrific conditions, and they were coming here to save their lives and ask for protection. So it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say, and I mean, um, everybody has to make a moral judgment on their own, but from my perspective, I just kind of feel like we have a moral obligation to help people who are very vulnerable and are seeking protection, and our law requires that as well. Have we had kind of like a freeway on-ramp of, of, you know, a certain flow of people <laughs> right. coming on, certain numbers that come in that it's, you know, historically that's about what we get and we've choked that off and that's why we have a huge backlog? Or is there a huge influx of people trying to claim asylum in this country because of the worsening situation south of us? Um, it's a little bit of both. Mm. So we had a, we had very similar numbers of, of people coming in requesting asylum back in 2014. And back then, um, we did we did have capacity issues from time to time. So there were, uh, if you remember from the summer of 2014, there were um, images of unaccompanied minors or families with small children being held in um, in pretty bad conditions, um, kind of like uh, steel cages with um, the FEMA plastic blankets. Um, but uh, at that point in time, in 2014, we still accepted people and processed them as quickly as we could um, for asylum. Um, I think right now we're seeing similar numbers to what was happening in 2014, but the problem is um, our government is creating a bottleneck at the border mm -hmm. and not processing as many people. And then there's also a new policy where people have to wait out their asylum claims in Mexico, which creates a whole other set of problems, mm -hmm. including safety for the people while they're waiting in Mexico, and then more importantly, access to a lawyer. Now, you talked earlier about a lot of people coming here to flee persecution. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's face it, most of us are products of immigration. Mm -hmm. Very few of us are, are Native Americans. So, you know, my mom, my mom is, a, she's a product of Berlin, Germany, post-World War II. My mm -hmm. opa, my oma, they came here after the war. Mm -hmm. Really tough times in Berlin following World War II. Really tough times for them when they came to America. Mm -hmm. Although my opa was actually recruited. He was a hydraulic engineer. They wanted him in America, and yet, I'm doing air quotes right now, Every German was a Nazi mm -hmm. back then. In the minds of the people. In the minds there, of the right? people, exactly. Thanks for that clarification, Kim. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you, do you think that immigration policies have really changed throughout the years? And do you think that maybe the social media, 24-7 media, is that filtering into this sense of divisiveness over the issue? Well, I'm really glad you asked the question about changes in immigration policy, because I think um, one thing that always really bothers me is when people say, you know, my family came in and did it the right way. Why are these people crossing and not doing it the right way? My parents came through or my grandparents came through Ellis Island. And I think the thing that people need to recognize is that it's not an apples to apples comparison. Our laws right now are very different than what was in effect um, all the way up to the 1920s. So um, back in the 1800s, people could just get on a boat and be processed and they had permanent residence. That's not the case anymore. Um, our immigration laws, all of the discretion uh, was significantly limited or eliminated when um, an immigration law, IRA-IRA, was passed in 1996. So I think what a lot of people don't understand is the fact that our immigration laws right now are so unforgiving and provide so little room for error. You know, so I think 
that's just a really important thing to understand how complicated and how unforgiving our laws are. So my mom's family, they, they were the ones on the boat, and yes. that was uh, World War One era mm. from Lithuania, my grandfather. So in terms of immigration and our laws, I actually remember when George W. Bush had an immigration policy that he was trying to push through, and he was stymied by his own party. And the reason why I think that he was willing to take up that issue is because he's from Texas, and you see the effects of immigration there, and you also see how that, uh, in, in Texas, it's not like it's a porous border, but people in your life are from across the border, and it goes back and forth, mm-hmm. and and it's integral to the economy there. Mm-hmm. And so it was stymied at that point, and, and in my mind, and I could be completely off base, we really haven't done anything since. We've admired the problem from a distance, and we haven't tackled it. So what's it going to take to tackle this problem? What do we need to do? I don't know. And I, yes, I remember that, too. Um, so the last, uh, the best, last best chance we had of comprehensive immigration reform was back in 2006 with the McCain-Kennedy bill mm. that was supported by President Bush. And it was a bipartisan bill. It had gone through the Senate, and then it was... Um, or I think it passed the House and then it was blocked in the Senate, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. We had a similar movement in 2013 where they tried to push comprehensive immigration reform and that ended up being blocked in the House of Representatives. It was a bipartisan bill passed with over 60 votes in the Senate, um, but it didn't go through. And I think the thing is that it's something that our country really needs. The question is, is there the political will to do um, what needs to be done and to make the hard decisions to get a compromise is through. part of that m- educating people because it's so easy for people to put out false information raise false flags and inflame people and then they don't hear the reality of, of what's real and what isn't oh absolutely and I think what really is a sticking point for a lot of people who are immigration restrictionists is the idea of doing an earned legalization program. So they're fine with other um, sticks in the law, um, more enforcement, um, more penalties for people that violate immigration laws. But then when it comes to fixing the existing problem, which is the population of 11 million or so undocumented immigrants in the United States, many of whom don't have a criminal record, that's sort of the sticking point, and they are not in favor of a legalization program, particularly if it has a path to citizenship, which is really unfortunate. And sometimes, so I'm going to provide just a little bit of levity here, but Kim, you're drinking a Scottish stout. <laughs> I'm drinking an Irish stout. And it's ale. really good. Yeah. Thank you, Finnegan. So do I'm you a think Durban that, Pilsner. Right. <laughs> I guess this just leads to, and I know it's overarching, but sometimes it takes appreciation of what others bring to us mm-hmm. to bring forth understanding and maybe compassion and acceptance. Do you think that's what's missing here? I absolutely. And I think overall, failing to recognize people's humanity. Because I think, too, when um, people meet someone who is an undocumented immigrant or hear their story, it can completely change their mindset. And I think kind of changing hearts and minds, it really will come down to on a one by one or individual basis helping them understand how difficult it is to be an undocumented person in this country and understanding that, you know, they're just a regular person too. They have kids. They're trying to get through life just like the rest of us. And And although it's not applicable now, I'm sorry, Lynn, I just wanted to say, (laughs) you know, a hundred years ago, Irish, you know, the Irish were persecuted when Mm -hmm. they came. So I was just trying to 
Everybody Ties was some. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. Just trying to you know, have some parallels between mm-hmm. our beverages and the current <laughs> crisis. Yes. No, well, and for sure. So how do you, you know, there, this is such an emotionally charged mm-hmm. topic, and you do such a wonderful job at just having a dialogue with someone that you disagree with. And a lot of us, I think, myself included, I get really <laughs> charged up. I have a hard time just thinking clearly. How, how, what, are, what is your advice to people? when it comes to having a difficult conversation where you might not agree with someone rather than getting on Facebook and spouting off a bunch of, you know, hate speech or whatever, you know, how, how do you, how do you navigate that? Okay. Well, I will say in one respect, I maybe have a little bit of an advantage in that I'm a lawyer, so I argue with people for a living. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, I think what's really important is to meet people where they are. And um, I've done over the past two years or so, I've done a lot of work with an organization called Isaiah, which is a faith based um, uh, movement. There was a really great profile of them in City Pages a week or two ago. But um, their philosophy is to have conversations with people and kind of meet them where they are and help them to sort of recognize the humanity of, of people in their communities so that they aren't as fearful of something because when you don't understand something or don't know something, that's when you're afraid of it. All right. So we are going to take a really short break. And when we come back, we're going to have our final flight. Final flight. (laughs) Sing it, Kim. (laughs) Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSaltz, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. It's now time for the final flight. It's a quick round of questions to help us learn even more about our guest. Anna, let's begin with what's your favorite beverage? Hmm. Um, so non-alcoholic, probably an Arnie Palmer. Hmm. And then alcoholic, um, probably like a medium-bodied wine. I'm going to say to date, you're the only person who did the differentiation. <laughs> Very lawyerly. <laughs> I like that. All right. Well... We know you were in Mexico. Uh, what, was, <laughs> what is your favorite vacation destination? I would say not Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> um, just kidding. Um, it was how, work. There it was yeah, work. It was, it was a work trip. Um, I would say Spain. Um, <gasps> I studied abroad there in college. Mm-hmm. Lynn and I were there. Yes together saw some bullfights together yeah and do you have any stories about lynn oh my and you are so lucky it was before youtube (laughs) (laughs) i like that yeah Yeah. we we go way way back she knows a lot of skeletons in my closet yeah um okay (laughs) what is a bad habit you would like to break um 
Well, I actually have two. So first is that I'm a bit of a procrastinator and kind of leave work till the last minute and work best on a deadline. So I wish I would be better about planning ahead and stuff. And then the other thing is I wish I was better about keeping a clean house. It's kind of silly. Oh, oh that's the second one. You have a Roomba. You're fine. You got a Roomba? Yeah. Do you have a Roomba? Do you have I do. a cat? Does the cat I have ride a, on the Roomba? I have a dog and she sheds everywhere. So yeah, she, but she also me. eats the and crumbs. Two kids. She's got two kids too. Yeah. So. so my house just looks like a bomb went off at all times. It's really embarrassing. I'm going to tell you, I don't trust somebody who has small kids and has a spotless house. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right there, I think we're good friends. Agreed. Okay, great. And with that, Anna Patraz Acosta, thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful yeah, talking with you. Thank you for you. having me. And we also want to thank Finnegan's for hosting us and dear listeners, Thank you for listening. We'll catch you back here next time for another round of three women and a bottle of wine. Or a pint of beer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Roxanne Battle is a former TV journalist who found herself at a crossroads one day. Her job, which was secure but about to turn into something no journalist wanted, or her sanity and the flexibility she craved to parent her son. And so it took Roxanne on this journey that she's still exploring. She's an author. Pockets of Joy is her book, and it's well worth the read. She's also a fantastic public speaker. That's next time on Three Women and a Bottle of Wine.